Hello, I'm Caesar, and you're listening to the Playback Podcast, a music podcast where I take a look at and talk about new and classic releases. It's been a while since I last spoke to you, hasn't it? In fact, the reason why it's taken me some time to release this episode is because I didn't want to distract from what was happening right now in the world. I've been glued to Twitter, watching footage from protests and keeping up with the news. It's insane. But don't forget, we're in this together. Black Lives Matter, and we're not going to stop until black voices are heard and taken seriously. There's some serious problems with the criminal justice system in America, and we need to change that. Please, do what you can to help the cause, whether it's donations or signing petitions. We can't afford to be silent on this one. Not until things change. I just wanted to get that message across before I started the show. I have a stacked show for you once again. No classic reviews or discussions, but I do have a lot of albums from black artists to talk about. Support black artists, by the way. That includes the new Moses Sumney, as I promised last week, Madani, Freddie Gibbs, and Run the Jewels. I'll also be talking about the new Lady Gaga and a project from the Brooklyn post-hardcore quartet, Died. That's really hard to say. <laughs> I actually recorded the Moses Sumney segment uh, for this week before I got this new equipment. I don't know if you can hear the difference in audio quality now, but I am the proud owner of a Rodecaster Pro. And I am talking to you with this wonderful new Rode Pod mic. I'm very happy with this equipment. And you bet I'm going to be using the hell out of this now. All right, I think I've gone on long enough. Let's get into the first album, Grey by Moses Sumney. Okay, so the first album I want to cover is Grey by Moses Sumney. And I know this album came out in the middle of May, but I wanted to cover it and I think it deserves the attention. Grey was an interesting album because it combines elements of neo-soul and art pop, as well as a little bit of psychedelia. The themes touch on masculinity, romance, and the complexities of people. Now, Moses Sumney is not an artist that I've heard of until this year, especially since this album's making pretty big waves, but he released uh, another album, A Romanticism, back in 2017, and I was pretty much impressed with this record right from the get-go. Uh, I might as well check that out after this. The record starts with Cut Me, which is a soul song at its core, but Moses adds in a bit of vocal manipulation, and suddenly it's a hybrid that mixes electronica and embraces experimentation. You know, it adds a bit of variety to the soul formula. We also get this on Conveyor, which isn't really a soul song or an R&B song. It's really an electronic song as we hear repetitive drums. We do hear a bit of strings, but we hear this, I want to say sampling, I'm not sure what it is, that loops, creating this tension that is never resolved, but it's still effective and engaging. In a way, just from these first handful of songs, I'm getting a very radiohead vibe from these songs this is like the second time i'm bringing up radiohead but you know they were a very important band in pushing the boundaries of rock and art rock and i feel like moses is doing something similar with this album the song that precedes conveyor viral is a grandiose musical statement again with the elements of neo-soul art pop and psychedelia the rapid drumming and the booming bass adds an urgency to the song and one of the defining things of this album, as well as Sumney's music, is his falsetto. It's so gorgeous. At some times, his vocals make the music, the song, feel grander than it already is. Then we get a cut like Gagarin, which has a jazzy piano arrangement. 
but combining this with distorted vocal effects blurs the lines between natural and irregular. The arrangement eventually fades out to make room for this brief ambient section that literally watches over you. It sounds like waves crashing. Again, another track that feels very Radiohead. But this album is two discs long, and disc one encompasses a lot in such a short amount of time, and each track feels more complex than the last. Whether it be this symphony of saxophones on color, or the Latin strumming on neither nor, or the stripped back melody of just guitar as well as some of these vocals on Polly, you know, there's a lot to digest here just in the first disc. But right away I noticed as the second disc started, there's more of a focus on Sumney and his vocals and his storytelling and the instrumental arrangements take a back seat, like on Two Dogs. The woodwinds, you know, really complement Sumney's vocals. They even play a similar melody at times, but they take a back seat to Sumney himself as it focuses, again, on the story he's telling and his voice. There were times where I feel like I was a bit bored on the second disc, but again, if you're a person who would rather hear Sumney's vocals and, and focus on the story, then I think you would prefer disc two much more than disc one. This all accumulates in the penultimate track, Bless Me, which has these guitars, bass, drums, vocals, harmonizing vocals, and strings. And it concludes the record in this very dreamy and celestial way. You know, sitting through a lot of those stripped-back songs on disc 2 was kind of worth it, as Bless Me is this amazing conclusion to the entire record. Now, there are some downsides. I, You know, I, I don't really like interludes, but... A lot of the themes that somebody talks about are in these interludes, and they can't get interesting, but I I don't know. I feel like they take up space. I feel like they're not there. Uh, boxes is one. It comes after Conveyor, uh, and it kind of concludes the song. It, it just feels like it should have been included into the song. And while I don't prefer the acoustic approach Disc 2 takes, I still think uh, it features the weakest song on the record, Keeps Me Alive. It's a good story. It's just that I was not interested at it in the slightest. It's a rather short song too, three minutes, so it's not that big of a deal. But otherwise, I have nothing but praise for this record. The record can jump from melodies that are composed of natural instruments to electronic and programmed drum beats seamlessly. And the way that it deals with these complexities and the stripped back nature should be applauded. If you like Neo Soul and you like art pop and with a little bit of psychedelia, I would definitely check this record out. Essential tracks are Cut Me, there's going to be a lot of these. Viral, Conveyor, Gagarin, Color, Neither Nor, Poly, Bystanders, and Bless Me. I'm going to give this record an 8 out of 10. Now we got Cold Water by Madani. This is the second full-length project from Brooklyn rapper Madani. This is also the second project he released this year. He released a mixtape earlier this year called Full Circle. I haven't really listened to that. In fact, this is the first album from Madani that I've listened to. It's 15 tracks, it's 35 minutes long, and I'm always happy to listen to new abstract hip-hop albums because, I'll be honest, abstract hip-hop is my favorite genre of hip-hop. Earlier this year, we had Descendants of Cain by Ka. It was pretty good. I think the production was really well. I think some of the lyrics and some of the storytelling were also really well handled, but I wasn't too impressed by it. I don't really see myself revisiting it as much as this project, mainly because Madani has this unique style that I'm pretty drawn to. If you listen to the first tracks, he has this way of rapping that doesn't seem coordinated, and it's more or less a stream of consciousness. 
And yeah, it could be a messy listen, but I wanted to see where this was going. And I'm glad that I did, because as you keep listening to the record, there are more things unearthed about Madani and why he's sort of rapping like this. You learn that Madani is going through this trauma, is going through this pain, and this stream of consciousness rapping is his way of kind of coping with that trauma and pain. It's almost like he's writing down his thoughts in like a journal or a diary. And on second listen, you can't help but look at these songs in a different light. This is hinted at early on in the album on certain verses and tracks. For example, Off the Strength, the first song on the record, he paints this hazy picture, awake for days, moving through the maze, stargaze. On the track late, he says, wore my armor, but the cuts beneath me cut deep. And then on the following track, All Facts, he says, I ain't get to build the bridge I was in my head, two weeks in the hospital bed, mind moving weird, crazy that I made it through this year. I like that he gives us, you know, very little but it says a lot in what little he's giving us. It's not until the track TRS with Navy Blue that we get a bigger picture of what's going on with Madani. We get this profound verse about insight and introspection and healing from this trauma that Madani has suffered. He doesn't get too explicit about what that is, but I don't really think that's the point here. I think what we need to focus on as listeners is this internal journey that he's going through that is going to help him with the healing. Navy Blue also has this really fantastic verse about his mental health, and he describes surviving a suicide attempt. But these two teaming up on this one track, it, it definitely is the highlight of this album for me, especially with the beats on this one. You can hear this jazzy sample with these funky guitars, but they seem to be submerged underwater, and which goes perfectly with the title of this record. A lot of these beats feel warped, or that they're drowning. And I think that pretty much relates to what Madani was feeling as he was writing down these songs. But TRS was kind of this turning point. It really is just him pouring out his feelings. And from then on, we get the switch, and I feel like he has better outlook on life. He's really learning to appreciate the people in his life, as well as finding the confidence in himself. The track I'm Dead Ass is also a highlight for me. The pianos, drums, and saxophones sound like they are echoing from a tunnel, yet it feels oddly uplifting. This is reflective in the lyrics as he is just ready to take on his career. It really feels as if this is a moment of realization for him. There are a lot of songs on here that I think the production is just stellar. The first time I heard Late, I was blown away. I really love when rappers, especially in the abstract scene, use creative sampling it's warped, the beat is fractured, and I really can't tell what it is. It sounds like it could be an alarm. It sounds like it could be like a toy, like a robot toy. This has to be like my favorite beat on the record. Watch My Step is also really amazing as we get this psychedelic trance in a way. And this is added through Madani's lethargic delivery. And Bun Down Babylon, the penultimate track, really hits you hard with these synthy beats. It's another track that feels very psychedelic, and I'm just a huge fan of it. There are other tracks that I don't really care for. I, I don't really think the verses are as strong or the production is as strong. The record starts off pretty weak. Off the Strength is way too short for it to have any significant weight in the record. And No Cap is this one verse delivery that I like, but it doesn't really have that great of a replay value once you get familiar with the other tracks on this record. Still, if you like abstract hip-hop like I do, if you like 
these introspective lyrics, then I would recommend giving Cold Water a listen from Adani. Essential tracks are late, all facts, New Drip, TRS, Watch My Step, I'm Deadass, and Bundan Babylon. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. Alright, before I get to Run the Jewels, I'm going to quickly run down three records in this new segment called Quickies. Starting off with Lady Gaga's Chromatica. I'm not the biggest fan of Lady Gaga. I kind of liked her early work, like the singles that she put out, like Bad Romance, Paparazzi, but I never really kept track of her. And before this record released, I I heard that she was going through this country phase with Joanne and the Star is Born uh, soundtrack. So I didn't really think I was missing out. But this new record pretty much starts off well. I, I, I like Alice. I like Stupid Love. There's this Eurodance influence that she has throughout the record. And Eurodance is a genre that, you know, I don't love, but whenever I listen to some Eurodance song, I always have fun. I I remember listening to it back when I was younger, and it was a great blast from the past, especially on Alice. I love those pulsating synths and the throbbing beat drive, and I think Gaga's vocals are also just amazing on that record. Her voice can get pretty high, and, and I think Alice is the best example of her vocal prowess stupid love is also pretty good i I don't really have any qualms with that it's it goes back to those like early gaga singles that got her popular in the first place as well as replay i thought replay not only had great replay value but it was so catchy that it's still stuck in my head it's still a great song but after stupid love is when the eurodance influence kind of just falters again part of the reason why i really don't have this affinity for Eurodance is because it gets very dry really fast. And so having a whole album consisted of these Eurodance beats, I, I just couldn't stand it. So, you know, if you're a fan of Lady Gaga, sure, give it a listen. But for me, I didn't really see the value in Chromatica. Also, the orchestral interludes didn't really have any weight on the record. So I just, I just didn't get why they were there. Alfredo by Freddie Gibbs and The Alchemist. I haven't enjoyed all of Freddie Gibbs' work, but by far the collaborations with Madlib are some of the best hip-hop records of the past decade. You know, speaking of which, it's been almost a year since Bandana was released, and I didn't really expect to hear from Freddie this quickly. But this time he's teamed up with producer The Alchemist, who has his own spin on sampling, and by that I mean he adds this psychedelic twist to them. One of my favorite cuts on the record, God is Perfect, ends with this minute of psychedelic beauty where Freddie's vocals are kind of twisted and the guitars you can hear in the distance and there's like this atmospheric ambiance that just really got my attention on the first listen. The production was also really great on Look At Me, which includes a sample from a song by the moments of the same name. It's hazy and mellow, kind of sounds like a vaporwave song, which is probably why I liked it on first listen. The problem with this record lies with Freddy, actually. I love his rapping. His flows are on point as usual, but some of the verses on here just don't really resonate with me as much. His best verse appears on Scotty Beam as he comments on racial profiling and racial bias in the criminal justice system in America. His line, the revolution is the genocide, yeah, my execution might be televised, refers to a number of deaths of black people at the hands of police officers caught on camera. You know, it hits very hard, especially now. And he has another verse later on in the record where he talks about having to sell drugs, to afford to play live shows. He even talks about 
supplying the dealer who sold cocaine to his late uncle who passed away from a cocaine overdose. And verses like that remind me why Freddy is so talked about, why he's so popular, why I love him. But we also give verses where he boasts about being on top of his drug dealing game, which, I mean, in the same record where he talks about his uncle who overdosed from cocaine, you know, that was pretty nice, Freddy. <laughs> and and he boasts about the stuff he can afford now because of how rich he is. And it, it, it's stuff like that that just really turns me off to that sort of, that kind of hip-hop song. You know, talking about, you know, Madani, I, I really like the personal or the introspective, or a narrative song rather than a song that just boasts about how much money an artist makes or how much they spend, how much, you know, they can get the new Lamborghini because, you know, they're so rich. But, you know, it's a very hit-or-miss project. Gibbs can be great on one track, and he can not be great on the other. Meanwhile, The Alchemist pretty much shines throughout the entire record. If anything, I'm glad that this record turned me on to The Alchemist because I had never heard of him before this record. But it's definitely not Freddy's best. Last but not least, I gotta talk about Died. Oh my god, I love 90s post-hardcore. Bands like Fugazi, At The Drive-In, Drive Like Jehu, Unwound. I still listen to that music to this day. You know, it sucks that that genre kind of died when it did. Especially, and and replaced by shitty bands like Flying In Reverse and A Day To Remember. I just can't stand the post-hardcore label now. But if you want some of that old post-hardcore, just... Tension building, aggressiveness, dissonant chords, complex arrangements. Please listen to Less Life by Died. Yeah, I do hear a bit of Fugazi. I do hear a bit of Unwound in their music. But I think what makes this album really stand out is that they are able to harness their own sound in this record. I think that's in part because they spent two EPs trying to hone in on their own sound. And yes, I'm aware of the slint comparisons from their first EP. Died is a track that sounds very Good Morning Captain because of the spoken word passages, because of the way it builds up and releases tension. But I think if you're going to compare this band to one post-hardcore act from the 90s, you're going you're to be disappointed. I, I, I think you should go into this record with a fresh pair of ears ready to listen to what died has to offer because some of these tracks are really good oha demako i'm probably mispronouncing this song but songs like that and busy man are just just explode with abrasive and fast guitars keeping the aggression alive you know on oha the band adds bright power pop chords through the noisy guitar melody and it even enters post-rock territory as there's this section that soars just with guitars which is funny because i didn't really like this track when i first listened to it but you know listening to it again and again i it's one of the highlights from this record busy man has this insane bass line that is just so groovy and that track is a great representation of them switching up the dynamics of the song from loud to soft to loud again and the brutal onslaught of guitars, drums, and shouting in the chorus, and switching it back to the moderate, infectious bass line. I love that track from the first time I heard it. It was the lead single off that record, so I, I spent a little more time with that track. But yeah, like I said, if you love post-hardcore from the 90s, definitely give Less Life by Die to Listen. This is probably a contender to, for one of my favorite albums of the year. Just beautiful record. It, mwah, chef Kiss. And now, the last record that I want to talk about this week is 
Run the Jewels 4 by Run the Jewels. I've always admired their songwriting. I really love Killer Mike's political expressions, along with LP's innovative and abrasive production. There really is no mainstream hip-hop group like them. And I'll be honest, I didn't really know what to expect from this record, given the singles that they released. Yankee and the Brave Episode 4 was a kind of -of run-of-the-mill, run-the-jewels track. And we got that confrontational nature. We got those booming and abrasive textures. We get a line referencing Mike wanting to go to war with the cops. Again, this is a very run-of-the-mill, run-the-jewels track. And because of that, I was a bit turned off by it. Mainly because I do want to hear something different from Run the Jewels. I didn't want to hear something that sounded like the past three records. And Ooh La La, you know, I love the piano chords on that one. They sound a bit eerie, but man, is that chorus insufferable. I did not. That that was the one thing that turned me off to that track. I, I just couldn't listen to it anymore. But listening to the whole record now, I just knew that this was going to be a project that people would be talking about for the rest of the year. Especially when you have... A track like Walking in the Snow, which is one of the best tracks on the record. And seeing all of the articles talking about how Killer Mike pretty much talks about the death of George Floyd. As we have this line, And you so numb you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from shriek to whisper, I can't breathe. And you know, people were wondering how he wrote these lyrics so quickly about George Floyd. Until you realize that These lines are meant for Eric Garner, who passed away on July 2014. You know, it just goes to show that nothing's changed. And because of it, you know, innocent men and women are dying because we've just allowed this to happen. We, we've, I mean, mean, like Killer Mike says, we've gone numb to it. We just, we're shocked and, and then we go to Twitter to rant and we call it a day. But, you know, I don't think Killer Mike really expected the global outcry from from Floyd's death and I'm glad he was kind of wrong about that as you know he he does have these lines about being on Twitter and and writing a rant from the comfort of your home from the comfort of your couch but there's there's a lot of examples of just strong lyrics on this record just as another one they end up bringing back the kill your masters theme from the last record and they talk about capitalism and the dangers of pursuing wealth my favorite line from this track is look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar you know it's a line that gets you thinking and and it's just typical run the jewels and and that's what i love about run the jewels mike gets you to think mike and lp get you to think i do have to say that mike is definitely the mvp of this record There were so many lines and verses from Mike that I just absolutely loved. But, you know, let's talk about LP for a bit because I am a fan of his production. I think he has some stellar beats on this record. Out of Sight is a track that just is just hard hitting as it just pounds your ears with the abrasive textures. Holy Calamafuck is my favorite example of LP's production as there's this incredible beat switch halfway through that utilizes these more industrial sounds and he uses atmosphere to create this ominous sound on the beat switch. Definitely a great track to check out. But I think where both Mike and LP shine is on the closing track, A Few Words for the Firing Squad Radiation. 
Here they both acknowledge the injustices in the world, and they sound angry because of it. LP's second verse on this track starts with dedicating this song to the people whose voices are never heard. You know, I can't help but think that this was meant for the people who fought against racial injustice and those who have passed away before seeing any sort of change. And those who are fighting now, those who aren't really being taken seriously now, and those wondering if they'll see any change in their lifetime. This is pretty much backed up by Killer Mike in the next verse, as he talks about being shocked that he is still alive today as a black man in America. And he sees all these people who look just like him, who are not as lucky as he is, as well as acknowledging America's history. His last few lines are some of my favorite on the record. For the truth tellers tied to the weapon post, left beaten, battered, bruised. For the ones whose body hung from a tree like a piece of strange fruit. Go hard, last words to the firing squad was fuck you too. It's just really some intense stuff. And the production complements the lyrical content on this track very well. We hear this synth beat rising, you know, strings climb along with that beat. Some of their vocals echo out. Yeah, I, I really can't help but think that this is the final track to accompany like the definitive moment in a revolution. And it's just more prominent now, especially with what's going on today. But after Mike's last verse, you know, the saxophone and string arrangement sort of quiet down. They play somberly up until they explode once again, pretty much signifying the climactic battle in that revolution but it truly is a breathtaking track and i'm glad they saved it for the end of the record but yeah this this record is this record is great <laughs> this might be a hot take but you know it rivals rtj2 in terms of greatness i've been replaying it a lot since i first heard it and it it's it's a fantastic record essential tracks are yanking the brave episode four out of sight holy calamifuck goonies versus et Walking in the snow, just pulling the pin and a few words for the firing squad radiation. I'm giving this a 7 out of 10. Alright, that's all I have for you today. I know for a fact that I want to talk about the new Arm & Hammer for the next week, but I think I'm caught up with all of the current releases so far. So I may be back next week with the best of 2020 so far and other surprises. Important update, you can now listen to this podcast on the following platforms. Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. And as always, you can follow me on Medium.com to read more in-depth music reviews and breakdowns from me. That's at Cesar Torres on Medium.com, C-A-E-S-A-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. My RTJ4 article was featured on the Medium music page, so that was exciting. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I'm Caesar. This has been the Playback Podcast, and I'll see you next week.